0: you can be seated. Well, you know a guy for six years and you think he's your friend and then he turns the microphone on on you while you're back in the bathroom washing your face. Thanks a lot, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm glad that's all I was doing. (laughs) Encounters with Christ. We continue on with our sermon series. What do you want me to do for you is the title of our, of our sermon today. We'll be reading from Mark 10, 46 through 52. If you have a Bible, take it out, turn it over to Mark chapter 10. Let your finger run down to verse 46. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some uh, incomplete handouts that are uh, back there that have it on the back of that. Or you can read it up here on the screen with me. The question is what is the right response? If the maker of heaven and earth, if an omnipotent God came to you and said, "What do you want me to do for you?" What would your answer be? How would you respond? What would be the proper response? Well, some of you might say, "Well, I'd like to be like Mavis Waynecheck who received the Massachusetts lottery. She's going to take home about $335 million after taxes. I know what you're thinking, Lou. That means a 72-inch screen in the garage for you and I, right? But the truth is, 44% after five years, 44% of everyone who who wins a major lottery loses it all. And after seven years, 70% of major lottery winners lose all of it and everything that they had beforehand. You might be saying, well, if I was asked that question, I would ask for good health, because it's hard to enjoy life if you're not healthy, right? You might be like Jim Fix here. He wrote back in the 1970s, The Complete Book of Running, I myself find it hard to believe there's more than two pages in the book, but he got a lot of people off the couch. He got them out running. He got them healthier. But unfortunately, in 1984, he dropped dead, Jack, of a heart attack. Or maybe you might say, well, Lord, I'd like incredible popularity. I'd like to be adored and loved by millions of people around the world. But that didn't stop Robin Williams from committing suicide at age 63. Or maybe you might say, well, God, I want want to be powerful. I want to have the ability to change the world and set the world on fire. I want to control information and knowledge and how it will spread and give it to the masses. I want to be a real game changer and an innovator. And I, I want to change the world of technology and science. Yet for all the power and almost limitless resources... And to all the modern medicine and technology, Steve Jobs succumbed to pancreatic cancer October 5th, 2011. So, the question is, if you are asked by an omnipotent God, what do you want me to do for you, what's the right response? Today I'd like to look at an encounter where I believe a man answered with the right response. Let's read together. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him, shh, to be quiet, but to keep him from crying out. But but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called to him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. And began to follow Him on the road. Some things we can learn from this lesson. First, we must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. The first and fundamental thing that we need to recognize is the response when Jesus comes near is to call out to Jesus, Son of David. Twice in this story alone, Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus for who he is and calls out to him. To be a truly cruciformed church, to be a Christ, a cross-formed church, to be a Christ-centered church, we must recognize that Jesus Christ is the one and only power and authority to save us. Folks, we make a terrible mistake when we start thinking that systems or traditions or people or anything else saves us. What saves us is our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Number two, we need to ignore the crowd One of my favorite parts of this story is this man ignoring the crowd. I'm learning. I thought I had learned, but now I'm relearning. Sometimes you just ignore the crowd. Shh, they said. Be quiet. Maybe they're thinking, shh, you're just a beggar. You don't deserve the attention of an omnipotent God. You don't deserve the attention of somebody who might be the Messiah, the Christ. And maybe they were saying, shh, be quiet. No more of this David talk, this King talk, this... Messiah talk, if the the Romans hear that, they might crush him before he has a chance for his political ploy and and to to start up a a new wave of of Jews starting to control all of the world like back in the days of David. And if the Romans hear this, this, they might crush him down. Or maybe they're thinking, shh, that's not proper etiquette to cry out, shh, we want you to wait, we want you to be dressed better, we want you cleaner, we we want you to clean your life up more than you are now, you blind beggar, we want you to come to Christ once you've got things cleaned up, because you know, that's the way they thought, you know, a wall falls on a bunch of guys in Jerusalem, and they thought, oh, what were they doing that was so bad that God pushed that wall over on? The disciples, they see a blind man at the side of the temple, and they start asking, well, who sinned, him or his mama? That's the way they thought. They assumed things that they didn't know. We do the same thing today. I wanted to be strong and tough like the marble man, but mama didn't want me smoking, so what did she tell me? Son, smoking stunts your growth. And then I'd go into Woolworth, IGA, and I'd see midgets there, and I'd think to myself, I know what they've been doing. <laughs> but we do that ourselves, don't we? Sometimes, some of you are a little faster than others, sometimes I fear that our pride does the same thing, doesn't it? We say things like, he's that way because he's made bad decisions. We like to pull out the old assume card, Right? Really? He might be homeless because he lost his wife and children in a car accident and he's never recovered mentally. She might be addicted to drugs because she was raped at a young age and that's how she learned how to deal with that desperate thought and that memory. They might be hopelessly in debt because they had tremendous health care Problems and health care costs that you know nothing about. She might be divorced because she couldn't return or stand another night of abuse and terror. God forgive us when we pull out the assume card. And God bless you people who cry out for Jesus in your time of hurting. Amen? Amen. Next thing we need... To recognize here, we must be willing to leave the old life behind. I, I love this part of the story. I, I've read this story, or have been told this story probably a hundred times. It was one of the stories that my grandmother would tell in her third grade and second grade class at church. And I used to love this story, but I missed this one part. Let your finger fall down to verse 50. He takes his cloak, and he casts it aside, and he jumps up. He's willing to leave it all behind. N.T. Wright believes that when he casts his cloak aside, that's what he's been begging with. That's his little collection plate there that's on the ground. When he has a chance to talk to Jesus, when Jesus calls him, he's willing to throw that aside, David, as if to say, I'll no longer need this. I'll no longer need this way of life. Look at his posture as he makes his way to Christ. He jumps up. This is incredible. He's leaving everything he knows behind For an encounter with Christ because he believes Christ is going to provide him everything he's always wanted. He's willing to leave his victim mentality behind. Do you understand his identity is in being blind and being a beggar. That's his identity. Mark starts off by telling you he's a blind beggar. Oh, and by the way, his name is Bartimaeus and his daddy is Timaeus. The other two gospel writers don't even mention his name. Why? Because his identity is being in a blind beggar. But now he has a chance to come before God himself. And he believes that this man, God, can change him and can give him new life. And he's willing to cast it all aside. Now for the first time in his life, he sees an opportunity not to be a victim. Not to drift through life with a meager existence, but to be a person of purpose and meaning. And can I tell you this morning, Christ extends that to each and every one of you. To live life with purpose and meaning. Amen? He answers with the perfect answer. I want to see. Really, he says, I want to regain my sight again. He could have asked for power, prestige, popularity. But what he asked for was full of metaphors and similes. What I think he's asking for is, I want to see you. I want to know your will. I want to come to an understanding of who you are and what you're about. I want to see God. I want the glory of God to be before me. Go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus, true to his Father's promises, the promise is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is the spiritual truth before us all this morning. If we're looking, we're going to find it. If we're seeking God, we're going to find him. If we're seeking his truth, we're going to understand it. If we're looking to be adopted, hello? He wants you as his own. So how will you live with his vision? One of the greatest parts of this story is the very end of this story. Look at the end of it. Matthew shares with us, and he begins to follow Christ on the road. He sees Jesus, he recognizes him as God, and he begins to follow him on the road. Luke shares with us that he began to glorify God and gave God all the recognition for the healing. He began to do what we should all do when we have this vision of God, is to glorify God to everyone around us. Well, how do you do that? You love on people and you tell people about this Savior who came down from heaven to share in love with us and to save us from what we can't do for ourselves. This morning, will you hear his call? Will you hear the Holy Spirit as he speaks? Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians five twenty five says, Tell us, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If the Spirit is controlling our mind, He ought to be controlling our actions also, right? Church, we need to be people who listen and who follow the Spirit. And we need to quit listening to the crowd. The world is going to tell you God doesn't exist. The world's going to tell you there might be a God, but He doesn't care about you. The world's going to say, you don't matter. Have you heard that lately? You're damaged goods. Paul begs differently. God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Sounds like a loving, kind, concerned God to me. Paul goes on in the same chapter. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk with them. God has a plan for us, a plan to bless us, a a future of hope and a vision for your and I eternal life. We need to stop listening to the crowd and start listening to the encouraging words of God's word, God's inspired word. Can I tell you, if you just listen to the world you will want to commit suicide. If you listen to the inspired word of God, you'll be set on fire to live and to have life to the full. Just like I asked you throughout this sermon series, will this encounter change your life? Will it change you? Paul says, Jesus will transform your heart and renew your mind. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Ezekiel tells us that God's going to take this stony, hard heart of mine and He's going to replace it with a fleshly, soft, compassionate, loving heart. Oh, What's your point, Keith? My point is that it's a never-ending walk. It's a never-ending path of spiritual maturity. This vision that God gives us is constantly renewing our minds, changing our hearts, building up our spirits. May you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing these songs. I don't know where you are spiritually in life, but we want to help you with that. We want you to mature. If you're spiritually hurting this morning, we we want just to wrap our arms around you and love on you. As we sing this song, there'll be at least one loving, kind, compassionate elder at the back to pray with you if you want to do that. If you need to commit yourself to Christ by baptism and putting Christ on in baptism, the front pew is here for you. Won't you come as we stand and we sing?